Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Jacob Marley is dead. This must be distinctly understood, or nothing wonderful can come of the podcast you are about to listen to. I haven't watched the Bad Batch, have you? No. No, I haven't watched... I mean, honestly, I haven't watched many of those extended universe Star Wars shows except for, like, The Mandalorian. Look, I hear there's some good stuff in it. And look, I haven't seen Clone Wars. I haven't seen The Bad Batch. But it's hit me recently, like, you can't consume all media. Like, you just... You can't watch everything, right? Sure, I think I keep saying that on here. Just like it's a fool's errand trying to watch every single version of A Christmas Carol because, my God, John, what did we watch this week? (laughs) Oh, boy. We're going to get right to it, huh? Well... Oh, hot take. Yeah, we're talking (laughs) about this right now. Let's go. (laughs) Oh, boy. Well, welcome to Jacob Marley is Dead. This is a podcast where we out ourselves as bad Star Wars fans and also talk about A Christmas Carol. I'm sorry. Have you seen seen Star Wars? Uh... I'm wearing my Star Wars t-shirt right now. I don't know Darn if, you, right you, if are. you can see that. Have you seen Empire? <laughs> yeah. Have you seen Return of the Jedi? Yes. You're good. <laughs> oh, we're getting, we're treading into some murky waters here, folks. Murky I, waters. I like Last Jedi. So how's that work for everybody else out there? Okay. James, <laughs> James can I tell you something about yeah. that? I also like The Last Jedi quite a bit. Hot I think damn. it's the best sequel. Wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. Better than Empire? No, 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 no. Okay. Of like the sequel okay. trilogy. Okay, yeah. I, no. I could take Better Than Jedi. I mean, Return. I could understand that. I, 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 I could understand that argument. I but... think that I have. I think that I have a hard time ranking any Star Wars film above any of the original trilogy. Like, I think just on a purely emotional level, I just don't know that I can do it. Right. But I would I would say that Last Jedi is is the Star Wars movie that has come closest to giving me the same feelings as the original trilogy. And that's what I'm basing my opinion on. Amen, brother. And what has not given me the same feelings as when I first heard A Christmas Carol was whatever the heck we watched this week, which was not A Christmas Carol. But what was the name of this thing? Uh, we're gonna double dipping on this opening, so this is Jacob Marley is dead. Um, no, leave and it we all are on. watching. Leave it, leave it all. We on. are we are watching uh, the ambitiously, I would argue, hubristically titled "Christmas Carol: Colon the Movie." Yeah, not a Christmas Carol. It's Christmas Carol the Movie. And if you've seen the logo for it, you might notice that there's like two little mice in there in the logo. 
don't worry. That's all. That's that's that, that's keeping with this film. That's, yeah. That's, that's... So I'm your host, John. <laughs> I, I am your sidekick, Jimmy, and I have feelings about this movie. <laughs> yeah, I do, too. My feelings about this movie are actually surprisingly more complicated than I expected them to be. Right. Yeah, that's why I think I, there's, I'm so passionate about like they're like like a lot like the Patrick Stewart one where it's like there are some moments that are awesome. And then there's the rest of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. I think I almost have the opposite problem. Like I went into this one being like, okay, this is, this is probably going to be bad. Like mm-hmm. just across the board. I'm like, this is not going to be a good version of this compared to what we've watched before. So I think a lot of what I saw in this sort of shook that for me a little bit. The opposite happened for me with Patrick Stewart, where I went into Patrick Stewart thinking this will probably be pretty good for a TV movie and it ended up just being like, not, but let's talk about it. So Christmas Carol, the movie uh, was originally released in 2001. Ooh. Boy, was it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, it was. Now, here's the thing. Before we get into this, this was directed by Jimmy Murakami. All right. And and those who don't know who Jimmy Murakami is, you may have seen some of his other films, namely The Snowman. I knew it. I knew it. I I mean, look, I didn't look it up by RDB, but there's a moment coming up later on. And the animation sequences all connect and i was like wait this feels just yeah. like the snowman this feels just like the snowman and hot damn it so was the yeah snowman. i went into this blind and did all my notes just like you know i don't want to know anything about this movie going into it i'm just gonna watch it and then kind of looked it up afterwards so uh yeah the snowman when the wind blows he also has a lot of other credits but i think those are his two biggest um and it real was, quick, the snowman is a masterpiece. Yeah, like if, flawless. Like, don't take any like there and there are moments in this where the animation is great. The animation of the snowman is one hundred percent an amazing piece of artwork. Treat yourself. That's in my Christmas future, now and forever. Is the snowman? I am almost positive this is at least the second time we've talked about the snowman on this podcast. Don't care. It's, yeah, it, it's pretty it's sure. worthy of that. It's worthy, yeah. which is cool because I didn't. I did not realize that he had done a Christmas Carol movie. So, um, it was written by uh, Robert Llewellyn, who um, he played the like the robot character on Red Dwarf. I haven't watched much of that show. He played Crichton. Yeah. So, oh, Sam. So, for those that don't know, Red Dwarf is a show set in the f- far off future. And I don't have time to get into how much I love Red Dwarf right now. Yeah. But that's another show that's pretty freaking awesome. If you yeah. like your British sitcoms uh, with a little bit of a sci-fi twist, like Doctor Who with like some humor with it, this ain't too bad. Okay. Yeah. This one I might have to give a look in the future. Uh, Robert Llewellyn, so he wrote the script with Piet Kroon, who's like an animator and storyboard artist. Um, he also plays Old Joe in this. That you know what I did recognize the old Joe voice, and that makes sense. Uh, yeah. So this was originally released at the Toronto Film Festival, and then later in the UK, um, it hit the US markets and just went straight to DVD. So it was unclear from Wikipedia, which is uh, the level of research I was willing to do for this. Um, but I think that it was a theatrical release in like the UK and Canada, and then obviously straight to DVD for us theaters for what it's worth. I don't put a ton of stock into this generally speaking, but this has a 13% score for critics on rotten tomatoes and a 48% for audience. So it falls below the line on both, which is usually a pretty bad sign. I don't think it's that bad. I think this is 
when you go to the Metacritic stuff, we gotta remember it's not that it's saying it's the worst thing ever made. It's that critics are saying it's not a good movie. It's not a yeah. great movie. This also only had like eight reviews. So I, I if I, if I had to give it some sort of number grade, like for one of those things, it's a six. It gets you over the finish line, but it's nothing to write home about. You know? Sure. Sure. Yeah. It it had a pretty high estimated budget and didn't make that much money. The estimated budget was like $12 million and it made like 200,000. Like it was a huge flop. Well, is that just at the box office or are they including like DVDs in that? Because that's cumulative worldwide gross. I, I do not think that this movie was very successful. No. Well, nor should it be like, I'm not, not, not to be mean spirited to any people who worked on it, but just isn't that good. It, it, yeah. We've already seen a better version of an animated Christmas Carol than this already. And that was done like 30 years before this. So and in and, and every way, shape and form. I mean, maybe one or two things were better in this version tonally. But when it comes to the animation. Yeah. No. Yeah. Well, James, why don't yeah. we get into it? This is Jacob Marley is dead. And we're talking about Christmas Carol colon the movie. In those ships, all three on Christmas Day, on Christmas Day, and what was in those ships, all three on Christmas Day in the morning? So we start um, with kind of like a self important title sequence, it's just like black screen, white text, Christmas Carol the movie starring such and such and who's he what's it and kate winslet is in there it feels like they were trying to stretch out this runtime we could make this fade here at least 10 seconds long because i rented this movie off of amazon i start hit play and i was like you know what let me go you know get something done go to the bathroom so i hit pause when i came back i sat down hit the unpause button took a drink in the process of taking a nice long drink, I was like, okay, it's going to go through this thing. Take the drink, put it down, look back up. It's the same thing, and it hasn't dissolved yet. And, and then I look at, at the screen. It's still going. Like, did I not hit pause? And just as I go to hit the pause button, it starts to fade out. I'm like, yeah. oh, this isn't good. <laughs> yeah, it's very long. And then, shockingly for me, we we come up in live action, right? So this this movie that is, I guess, ninety eight percent animated, also has a couple like a, a a pair of live action bookends. Yeah, and this is like no small thing. Like the production value in these little bookends are is really good. Like costume is good, the setting is good. <laughs> this is where that twelve million dollars was. Like just I was just sequences. saying, like think of that. Like that is like that's the where all the money went for these extras. And for some computer graphics, we'll see in one second. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so we'll see. Uh, what we're actually seeing is not, um, you know, England in the 1400s. It's actually a street in Boston. And Simon Callow, who will voice act Scrooge in this movie, mm -hmm. emerges from a carriage dressed as Charles Dickens. And this is not the only time he has played Charles Dickens, because when this episode began and he got out, I thought, wait, am I watching Christmas Carol colon the movie or am I watching the second episode of the 2005 series one episode of uh, series one Doctor Who? I was yeah. like, is it because that whole episode is about Charles Dickens meeting the doctor? 
Right, and the unquiet dead. He also comes back. I think they're uh, the wedding of River Song. I think he also plays Charles Dickens for like a little cameo in that. Yes, he does. Yeah, I, I remember if I'm remembering that correctly. It's been a while since I've watched yeah. some of the Moffat stuff. Yeah. So <laughs> odds are pretty high that we're going to talk about um, at least two episodes of Doctor Who on this podcast. One of them being the unquiet dead. So this is not the last time we'll talk about Simon Callow as Charles Dickens on this show. Nor will we talk. There's a there's another performer later on that is tied to Doctor Who and a Christmas Carol. But yeah, we'll yeah. pressing on. We'll, pressing we'll definitely on. talk about that. Yeah, yeah. So what's basically happening is he is um, he's coming to this theater in Boston to do a a stage reading of a Christmas Carol, which is something that Charles Dickens is very famous for doing in America. In fact, right here where I'm recording in Philadelphia, um, he pretty famously did it, and his uh, one of his descendants, his great grandson or something, still does it, which is very cool. Hey, get that money! Yeah, for real. <laughs> and uh, so, so he gets up on stage and he starts. Uh, doing this performance and here's before we get into anything else he is very good in this role he plays a very good charles dickens this is honestly probably my favorite part of the movie is is just the gravitas that he brings to this role simon callow he even though things will happen in this scene that make me upset right and even though there are choices made that almost derail the entire rest of the movie right it is a wonderful performance of Charles Dickens. Like he just, yeah. he, he, what he does is he, he plays both the, 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 the man, but also the performer in this moment. And it's. Yeah. And there's wonderful. a, there's a nice distinction there. You can see where he kind of puts on the character. It's like, he, he's a little older when he gets out of the carriage here. So there's like a brief scene where he gets out of the carriage and he's, kind of tired from the journey like you yeah. can see it and the cold of boston which he makes a joke of like he makes this really funny joke how he wishes his uh legs were in mississippi or his feet were in mississippi where it was warmer and it's like ah oh, that's funny later on but like no he's beaten down he's tired but when he's on stage and he's performing he's yeah. performing yeah it all comes out um and he's almost immediately upstaged by uh the is it the worst cgi mouse that anyone has ever created it's pretty bad i mean i know this is 2001 but still no 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 we've made Stuart little by this point there's no excuse <laughs> oh wow yeah yeah Stuart oh. little was like 2000 2001 there's no way this came out before it so and it's bad john it's bad cgi mouse and it's what what it does is Dickens starts to tell like the setup for the evening, right? Like we're going to do this, that and share stories from old London and then maybe even a ghost or two. And when he says ghost, there's a woman in the front row who sees the crappy CGI mouse and goes crappy CGI mouse. And (laughs) now she just screams, but it was, it was, you know, and I was hoping they wouldn't reference the mouse it was just like, oh, don't be afraid of the ghosts, you know, like, yeah. don't I didn't want him to acknowledge it. Oh, gosh. He actually says I was upstaged by a mouse, doesn't he? Yes, I he said does. that without even thinking about. Yep. <sighs> OK, so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he's upstaged by the mouse and and then like adding insult to injury. We we begin to transition into the animation. He's like, well, this oh. is appropriate because my story starts with a mouse. And I almost turned off the movie at this point. I was like, no, 
But no. he does, it's bad. It's bad. But he does one thing I love as a storyteller here, which is something I do as well. So I, I tell stories to the kids at the school I work at, and it's kind of one of my little things. But what he does is he makes a joke of, don't worry, my dear, things won't be that exciting in my story. Oh, well, maybe they will be. And it's just like this little confidence he has in his own yeah. story. It's just like, oh, you're, you're awesome. Charles Dickens is very good at dealing with hecklers, apparently. I love, and so that worked, like that aspect of it worked, but then we go into the animation and, uh, John, how do you feel about this? So there's a mouse. We're going to see a lot of mice in this. I'm going to try not to talk about it too much because honestly, at a certain point, you sort of become numb to how much time is spent just watching the mice like faff around, like not doing very much. You, you become number to it way faster than you think actually because before you can realize that you're dealing with one mouse you're gonna soon realize that you're dealing with two yeah so we'll we'll get to that we'll get (sighs) to that because um so we start off in uh the exchange actually and we see our ebenezer scrooge who is also played by simon callow um talking to a guy named mr leech and and essentially what seems to be happening is that he's kind of one-upped leech in some sort of business arrangement and now leech is handing over a bunch of like debt accounts to scrooge so he's handing him over this like big ledger um yeah the way it sounds later on that leech was actually like letting debtors go for a long time that was putting him in debt so yeah. he was taking money from Scrooge and because he was trying to be as terrible as he could, but he couldn't keep up with it. Scrooge just said, you're defaulted on owing me. So you have to, I get everything that you had. And yeah. And I will say this is a really nice setup. This, this sort of opening, it really gives us a clear idea of what kind of guy Scrooge is. Um, this is a little bit of a younger Scrooge too, right? Yeah. It's only, we know it's only 20 years from a certain event later on. We get some context. So I guess sure. it's like his early fifties, early sure. Mid forties to early fifties, somewhere in that range. Nowhere past sixty. Yeah, and if so, he's got the one ring or something. Yeah, he's losing his hair, but it's still pretty brown. He's not super wrinkled. Um, That don't mean nothing. Well, (laughs) (laughs) as I show over the Zoom cast, my balding head to my friend here, Uh, it don't mean nothing when it comes to hair loss, friends. (laughs) We're we're all in that boat together, James. Oh yeah. Um, (laughs) <laughs> so we we flash pretty quickly though from the uh the exchange sequence because the this mouse the first of the two mice has shown up at a um a house for the poor right where there are a bunch of kids um and all these kids call the mouse Gabriel I guess it has a name it's absolutely inconsequential for the rest of the movie but we know that the mouse has a name um that mouse is so simple metaphor it's such a simple metaphor because this is them trying to be disney this is them trying to be disney and they need they need they need an animal sidekick so we're trying to be like disney we need an animal sidekick what should we get a mouse yeah i was thinking about this i was trying to figure out okay so in in cinderella which is kind of the the proto version of this right the mice are arguably the best part of the movie first of all but but also like really significant characters in that with personalities and whatnot and then i feel as though every single disney cartoon knockoff from like 
basically that point to the present, it's it's always mice, or at least a high percentage of the time. And I'm like, is it just because mice are around people? I mean, it, it, I, I guess it's easy because mice do travel with us. Rats travel with us. And so, like, yeah, I, I think maybe the idea is like, well, if we're there, they can be there and we can sure. humanize them. I'm thinking of like, you know, like a uh, an American tale or, and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, and that's a different I mean, in that it's like a metaphor for like. No, but it's, st- it's still a mouse. I mean, it's still yeah. like mice are definitely a go to. And again, look at the success of Mickey Mouse. It's sure. what people think it's a sure thing. You put a mouse in it, it's going to sell. I don't think that's what true at all. I think you need character. You need a reason to, you know, have a connection between your human character in the story and your animal character. These mice feel like a studio note to me. 100%. Right? In, in, in this movie that does not feel like a, this doesn't feel like it was made for kids to me. But then no. there's these cartoon mice and you're like, well, that's clearly made for kids. So I don't know what this movie's trying to be. And no kid looks at these mice and goes, yippee, there's the character I know and love. Like, they, no, no kid cares about these. Look, maybe that's not true. Maybe there's a huge fan club out there online right now where Gabriel, Gabriel one, and other mouse. <laughs> angelfire.net slash Gabriel number one fan is out there somewhere. And look, I get it. Does it, does it play like the Kate Winslet song in like a MIDI file when you open the page? <laughs> John, 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 you know what it plays. Oh, no. Come on, everybody do the Gabriel dance. Better uh, animated movie about animals. Um, <laughs> All right. All right. Let's get this cart back on track because we could spend a lot of time talking about this like mouse showing up at the hospital and not talk about the thing that's about to drop that's going to define the rest of our conversation for this movie, which is when one of the kids looks up and says, Nurse Bell. And I don't remember what else he said because my brain shut off in this moment. (laughs) I had to pause the movie, John, because I knew it. I knew the second that happened, I was like, my least favorite trope, which we haven't seen yet, we have not seen, is the returning love interest. And yeah. I was like, oh, don't you do it. Don't you do it. But I knew they were going to because this movie was setting up for that ending. So they had to commit to it. But I was like, ah, we're finally going to have to talk about when they bring back Belle. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, in this version, Belle has not married some some other man and and popped out a bunch of kids. She is a single middle aged nurse working with poor orphans in this hospital. Um, yeah, this has definitely got a Scrooge influence to it. Scrooged, like spoilers for that one, but like our Belle love interest there is working with the needy in that situation. So it's clearly like this movie has a lot of fingerprints from other productions in it. I, I, and I, I wonder, there's a part of me that really, really wonders if why, if the Alistair Sim version of this story at one point had this plot line 
or elements of this plot line, but it was largely cut and they just left that one scene in where she's working with the poor. I really, really wonder because the similarities, it's not it's not a one to one, but it's close. I'm wondering if there's some either reprinting somewhere that added it, a radio drama somewhere, a newspaper serialized version somewhere. Like these are all things that probably have happened before. Like the Christmas Carol just retold through a different media where people have added in their own thing. Of course it's happened in movies. Why can't it happen in something else that we're just not catching? That was the origin for this idea. Some sort of reprinting in the late 1800s, some sort of, like I said, radio drama. We don't know where this came from, but this is definitely bell as a nurse existed in the Alistair Sims had a, some sort of version was adapted for Scrooge, right? And then this is after Scrooge. This is 2001. And it really like is the merging of the two ideas, like I, like we said, into this bad choice. And th- But the problem is the movie has committed to this choice, so it has to follow it through for the whole thing. Um, I have a note here. I, I'm not sure why it's at this point. It may be because um, this is where, where we see Scrooge uh, walking back from the exchange. The animation in this movie is weird, and I can't pinpoint why it's weird but i have a theory i think that i think that there wasn't a lot of coordination between people who were animating like the background characters and people who were animating the characters in the foreground that they're all being animated separately and then they were all just kind of like composited together into these scenes because the animation itself is not bad like individually the the characters um there's a lot of motion. They don't feel super static. They do feel a little muddy, I suppose. And I'm sure if if we had like Milo on the show, he could tell us probably exactly what is going on in terms of like what's not right in the animation. But right. there's something about it that that while it looks good, each character looks good in a vacuum. When you put them all together, there's like a weird disconnect. There, There's a scene coming up where the animation really came into question for me. And I'll talk about there. But like if you just freeze the image. You freeze it. It's actually a great illustration. And if you put it in a book version of this, it would work. But as it's moving, as it's connecting to other stuff in the in the movie, it just doesn't work. There's also definitely like a really distinct difference between the way that backgrounds are drawn and the way that characters are drawn. The backgrounds are all very like painterly, I find. They almost look like they were like they look like paintings that you'd find in like a thrift shop or something that like a local artist created. Do you think maybe the backgrounds were painted, right? Mm -hmm. And the foregrounds were animated, uh, were uh, were colored digitally. Like the characters you mean? Yeah. The characters, maybe like the characters were animated where the color was filled in digitally there. And then the backgrounds were all done with actual. I think that regardless of how it's done, the foreground characters just look very distinct from the backgrounds in a way that, higher quality animated films don't have this issue and it stood out to me which it's probably not a good thing that it stood out to me no you don't want that you don't want you don't want me questioning why this looks different than that that's the sign of a bad movie yeah um so scrooge is actually going to see old joe and 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 so this is interesting because we never there's never an explicit connection between scrooge and old joe in the text or in other versions that we've seen but in this version Old Joe is actually like not a pawnbroker. It seems like he's more of like a like a enforcer kind of. He's like he's a, a soldier. 
He does both. He does. He does both. He. I think he, it's like the pawn shop idea is like taken to the extreme here, but also yeah. debt collecting. It's an interesting character for Scrooge to be play up against because he is worse than Scrooge in the original novella. So like having him be here and dealing with Scrooge yeah. really lowers Scrooge's status. Like Scrooge is doing business with old Joe. Well, and the idea almost seems to be like like Scrooge manages like a business end of things. So he has a certain amount of, de- of detachment and, and respectability, but he can have Joe be the one that's going around kicking people out of their homes and collecting on these debts. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like that. Kick it out of homes thing. What happens here is so he, he hands off this, this ledger to Joe. And then for some reason, Joe goes to the debtors prison and gets like a, gets like a little SWAT team, like a goon squad, and he's going around pulling people out of their homes, kicking people out, that kind of thing. Yeah, and he's gleeful about it. Like, he's enjoying it. Like Yeah, it's, yeah he's real scummy. Like, the other, like, one of the things is, like, most characters don't take as much joy in the horrible things they do in these stories. He's, later on, we see him singing. Like, this guy is, like, the worst. By his attachment to this, I feel like this makes this Scrooge probably the worst one we've seen. This is the, and I don't mean worse in performance, I mean of character and morality. This is the worst Scrooge we have met so far. I, I So I'm watching this movie, right? And at this point, I'm like, wow, this is a really like ugly Scrooge that he's like sending this guy out to do all these things. And then Scrooge gets back to his counting house and there is a mouse at the counting house. And you would be forgiven for thinking that this mouse is Gabriel, the mouse from the opening of the film, because they look literally exactly the same. Um, Scrooge is kind of nice to this mouse. Like he has a little gift of cheese for him and, and treats him like a little member of the team at the counting house. And it is perplexing to say the least. Like, I don't know if this is supposed to be his save the cat moment, but it, it comes at a really, really rough moment in the narrative. If like you can't, if you can't save the cat, you feed the mouse. And that's, <laughs> that's all he could do here. And it's, it's it's it feels forced. Yeah, it doesn't feel natural for this Scrooge. I don't deny that even the worst people in the world can find like this weird charitable attitude to, towards some creature and not see how who they really are in the real world affects everybody else. But like you should be like how you are with this one per- thing or one person with everybody else. But you're not. You're just. And he's he has a little bit of cheese for him. Like yeah, he this... went out of his way to get the cheese. Scrooge would not buy that cheese. Scrooge doesn't buy the bread he wants. He's not going to buy a little piece of cheese for a mouse. He's going to let everybody else. I hate this mouse. I hate this mouse. I hate <laughs> this mouse. I hate the Gabriel mouse. I hate all mice in this movie. And this is. Look, we're going to stop talking about the mouse, like John said, because they just don't do a thing. They don't yeah. do a damn thing. Yeah. They don't- there, there's one other thing that they like do in this movie, and it's kind of the, the only thing they do for the rest of the movie. Oh, you, um, oh I'm going to talk about that when that comes yeah, up. <laughs> yeah. This scene reminds me. You so you know, you know that scene at the end of The Godfather where they're at the <laughs> baptism, and. <laughs> And it's like flashing between uh, uh, Al Pacino being like, I renounce all all my sins and stuff during the baptism. And then like, and then all the other, uh, the mob guys getting shot and Barzini rolling down the steps. And, and... <laughs> I was thinking something similar. Yeah, that was like, 
that's kind weird... of what's going on here, right? Like, yeah, what we're doing is we're cutting in between this very cute scene with Scrooge and his little pet mouse and the debt collectors kicking in doors and throwing people in debtors jail. And it's just like, what a weird turn this movie made. And we're yeah. not even 10 minutes in. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot right off the bat. And if you if you have any familiarity with A Christmas Carol at all, this is a lot to walk into and contend with. It 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 makes the beginning of this movie feel very confusing. And look, we want to not like Scrooge in the beginning of the movie. We want yeah. Scrooge to be at his lowest point for all the right reasons of the story, right? We want Scrooge to be this close to not being redeemable, right? Yeah. And that's yeah. why this night matters. Yeah. But Damn, that's what is... gives the redemption its catharsis because he is forced to contend with the person that he's been and like actually reconcile the wrongs that he's done right? right it's like a classic redemption story but if you have him be like a little bit nice off the bat and and you always feel like that potential is there it weakens it somewhat for me it's weird it almost makes it worse in a way like i, yeah. I like it's like dude don't so like the... he knows what it's like to it's like he knows what it's like to be a nice person he's not ignorant of what it's like to be nice and and to care for another thing he's just selectively choosing to do it for a rodent instead of like other human beings um we cut back to bell and she's gone to leech great to name for a collect- to... debt collector by the way really great name for a debt collector yeah yeah it's true a little um, on she... the nose there friends <laughs> Uh, so <laughs> she goes to him and she's like sh- trying to, you know, get him to extend the debt be- for the, the doctor, I guess, or the hospital. I'm unclear who owes the debt. I guess the hospital does. Well, Leach is, you know, very understanding of where Bell's coming from and he and explains the situation to Bell as like, and like we said, he took on, he, he took on as much debt as he could from everybody else. He in fact had to take out money himself to try yeah. to help out people who owed him money. And that's how this whole thing started with uh, with Scrooge. But Leech is like, I gave him all my debtors at a cost. Like, I'm not making any money off of this. And I yeah. am so sorry. But, like, I can't do anything here. And I, I, you do feel sorry for Leech. Like, as much as you can in this situation. Like, nothing's really happening to him. I mean, sure, he's lost a little bit of money. But he's, he's not in jail. You, you know about Leech. Like, do you think like that's his family's name? Like, you know, like if you're a Zimmerman, you're a carpenter man. Like was like, is he like Leech the third or fourth? Like was like, was Leech the first, the real like Scrooge, like penny pinching, like debt collector. And now like, he's like a couple generations down. Maybe he's like Leech the 14th. And he's like, you know what? I don't need to be as mean as my great ancestors. I could be a nice guy, you know, like, like he's, like, you, but the name stuck. Like, the family name was already Leech. Is it just a thing in London? Like, all the debt collectors have these names that feel very connected to what they do. Scrooge, Leech. It's it's like a, it's like an animal house. From now on, your debt collecting name will be Scrooge. From now on, your debt collecting name will be Marley. From now on, your debt collecting name will be Leech. Why Leech? Why not? <laughs> <laughs> So she she writes a letter. She goes back home and writes a letter and she like takes like a couple stabs at it. Um, but basically you get if like if you didn't know anything about a Christmas Carol, what she begins to write in this letter communicates to you the idea that she knows Scrooge in some way because she's like, dear Ebenezer, she knows his first name. And then she goes to his office. And and this is where I feel like I feel like we have this movie definitely for me dethrones uh, the 
the Bob Cratchit from Scrooge from worst Bob Cratchit we've seen so far, because this movie has by leaps and bounds, the worst Bob Cratchit. Nothing but net on this one being the worst. (laughs) Screw this Cratchit. It's horrible. One scene, one scene does everything I need for this one being the worst one. He's pretty part of the course moving on after this moment, right? Oh, he has some moments that I need to talk no, about d- later, but we'll oh, get oh, there. Oh, 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 okay, fair point. There are some, I, yep, totally remembering some big details come up in a second. But, like, like the plot needs him to stop Bell from getting this letter to Scrooge, right? Yeah. That's the only reason why he does what he does here, right? Like, they don't even, like, he was, like, really stern and, like, Mr. Scrooge is a businessman and he will not see commoners yeah, he's like, like you. snotty to her. Yeah, and it's not, not my Bob Cratchit. Not no. my Bob Cratchit. No. Like, this guy, look, if you're doing a version of A Christmas Carol where Bob Cratchit is slowly becoming Scrooge, like, like, like I don't like it, but it's a choice. And if you're yeah. doing it, go all the way with it. Like, really commit, like, show me a future where Cratchit has inherited everything from Scrooge and is worse. Like if we're going to make that choice, sure. But it's there for like a few beats and it makes no sense. And it sucks. So Gabriel, the mouse is with her, right? And then Scrooge's mouse is like chilling somewhere in the, in the counting house. And this is where they sort of meet up and honestly, for the first time I realized there were two mice because it, the, it was so unclear and and now it's super unclear which mouse is which and with like it seems like maybe they have different motivations but maybe not like one of the mice seems like a little bit meaner than the other mouse and and they're like pranking each other back and forth but understand these mice do not speak and the because the animation in this movie is so muddy it's really hard to tell like what they're doing half the time they're just sort of like gesticulating at each other the only physical difference between the two mice is one is a little darker than the other one. Yeah. And maybe slightly thinner, like just a little bit. But again, the color in this movie and lighting is so inconsistent throughout that like, even that isn't super helpful. And I bet the animators were not consistent with it either. Like I can't confirm that, but like if, if the gray mouse is supposed to be uh, Bell's mouse and the darker one is supposed to be Scrooge's, Damned if I can tell the difference moving forward because nobody's no neither my mouse's character motivations seems consistent to me. And yeah. it's and like they're arguing and like the one mouse is like showing off for Scrooge kind of here. And like the other mouse is like, this guy is Mr. Scrooge and he's a scumbag and you don't like him. And like, no, Mr. Scrooge gives me cheese. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and it's like and I'm making it seem better than it is. It's, yeah, not, it's good. not good. It's not good. It's just there for brief seconds and gone and doesn't matter. It's and it's definitely like every anytime there's like an extended period of dialogue between two characters, it will cut to these mice just sort of goofing around. And I think I honestly think it's like this movie is is not the most exciting. It's pretty boring. This is a boring piece of crap. Who paid for this? I paid $12 million for this piece of crap. We need something for the kitties. We need something to make them happy. Okay, here's what we're going to do. All right, what do kids like? They like little animals, right? What's the smallest animal we got? Okay, 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 okay. My ants? Can't do ants. That's not, it's too cold, too old. What's in foggy London town? What they got in foggy London town? Oh, they got mice. They got mice. All right, so we'll put a, you know what? 
You know what? We're not just gonna put one mouse. We're gonna put two. We're gonna put two mice in it. Haha, -ha, double your money, double your fun, double your pleasure. Double my gum. All right, so let's do this. Make it happen. Uh, is Foggy London Town going to be our next piece of merch? <laughs> it's the t-shirt that says Foggy London Town. You know, back over in Foggy London Town. Like, and by the way, this is 2001. 2001, this producer guy who's worked on every production of A Christmas Carol. Guys, he owns the rights. <laughs> he bought the film rights back in 1918 from Thomas Edison. So he has to be a part of every production of A Christmas Carol oh ever made. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Uh, you know, John, some people don't like podcasts where people make each other laugh and stuff like that. You know oh, what I say to please. those people? Stop listening because yeah. I'm having fun and I know my buddy over there is having fun. Yeah. Have some fun with us. Yeah. So basically for the rest of this movie, one or other of the mice is going to be trying to get Scrooge to look at this letter and something will always prevent that from happening. Um, and that's all you basically need to know about these mice for the rest of the movie. It so she sucks. leaves. And Scrooge comes out and there's like some carolers singing outside. And oh no, he's not back yet. Right. Because he's he's gone to see Joe. Yeah, he went to see Joe came. The, the letter is delivered when he's out seeing Joe. Cratchit yeah. kind of stones walls. Um, Bell. Bell doesn't get there to wait to see him. Doesn't get to stay. Has to leave, but leaves the letter. Yeah. Bell like leaves the letter with Cratchit and either Cratchit throws it on the ground or does it just throw on the go on the ground itself? No, he puts it on his desk and it gets like brushed off later. Ugh. Whatever. It's it's a whole it's a bunch of nonsense, but this letter is like the Chekhov's gun. Can, can I tell you that's of one of my movie. That's one of my least favorite movie tropes. The the crucial piece of parchment that needs to get there, but I will gently put it on top of a stack of papers, and then the winds of fate change and blow it out of the way. Like, no. Yeah. like Yeah. I've seen it too many times. Yeah, so there's these carolers singing outside, and Scrooge is, like, <laughs> marching at them like he's on a mission and to what bust we, past them. Right, and have we already been to the doctor with Tiny Tim at this point? Um, oh or was that during gosh. the debt collector scene? Because friends, this movie has really like no transitions. It's you're seeing literally like ten seconds of a scene and then cutting very quickly to something else. Yeah, and and the pacing, like John was talking about, like at the end of The Godfather, like the, those quick cuts and that baptism scene, that is very much in keeping with the speed of cuts of these yeah. movies. Well, okay, so yeah, so so earlier in the movie, I guess during the scene at the hospital, there was just so much going on. I don't um, blame you, John. Tiny, I don't Tiny blame Tim, you. <laughs> Tiny Tim is there, and he's being released. He was sick, and he's being released from the hospital to go back home because um, he's, I guess, not sick anymore. And now he's with this group of carolers and when scrooge busts through these characters i think the line that he's supposed to say is out of my way carol singers but in the movie he says it out of my way carol singers and it's it's like he's suddenly realizing they're there like, like get uh, out of my way what was that oh carol singers it's like um, here's here's a deep cut for you. This is it's like Christopher Walken at the end of the Country Bears movie. He says something I don't remember the exact line, but he's like, "I'll, I'll get, get you, you next, next time." Yeah, bears, <laughs> and and the the gap makes it sound like he's suddenly realizing the bears are there. 
Fred actually meets Scrooge at his door, like before there. Fred looks like a beatnik. <laughs> I'm not sure what this design choice was. Um, so the, I like this scene with him and Fred because Fred kind of follows him inside and up to the office and is like trying to talk to him and Scrooge is like brushing past him. I think this is when the letter gets knocked off the desk, but who who knows? Um, who cares? Yeah, and this scene plays out like basically the way it usually does, but Scrooge gets all worked up about it. Fred is not as Fred normally is. Fred does not do his speech. Fred yeah, doesn't... he's a little he's a little little weak. Yeah, he's like look if he's really supposed to be younger, fine, but he's married at this point, so he's at least eighteen or something. So like, stand up for yourself, man. So Scrooge grabs a bucket of water, and on a snowy day in the middle of December, throws a bucket of water down on these carolers and basically all of it hits tiny tim so scrooge murders tiny tim in this movie yeah because earlier on at the doctor who gets thrown in the debtor's prison yeah the doctor says now tiny tim we just got rid of that cough don't you get cold or you'll die and he gets with it first of all if you're not supposed to be cold why the hell are you outside of scrooge's office seeing carol's tiny tim Oh, because your father's inside. And that makes sense. But you know what? Your father never comes to the window. And apparently your father doesn't give two craps about you because he doesn't know that you were singing out there. And he didn't get a bucket of ice cold water because we know how cold that office is thrown on you in the middle of December. I'm mad now. It's not like they're even going to go be able to put him in like a car with heat to get him back to Camden Town. Like he's going to have to walk home in the snow. (laughs) Yeah, no cabs coming for him. No yeah. cab. Yeah. Even they can't even afford that. Oh my god. So here's the thing, right? So the the setup now that we have at this moment is Scrooge is ruthlessly collecting on all these debts, including the doctor's debt. So the doctor is going to debtor's prison, and uh, because the doctor is going to debtor's prison, he's not going to be able to help Tiny Tim recover from hypothermia or whatever he would get from being splashed with cold water and also being generally Victorian poor person sick. Um, so, so now it's frustrating, right? Because now all of the stakes are all tied up together, right? It's not, it's not that Scrooge has to be a better person because like ultimately his soul is at stake and he can better the lives of the men around him. Now it's like Scrooge has to be a better person or specifically Tiny Tim will die because Scrooge murdered him. Right. And it is a horrible take of what is happening here in this story. And it really ruins the meaning of it. And it's not just this like setup here. It is followed through the entire story that it's all about what I can do directly to people. Right. Not my, not my spirit, not my soul, not the little things I can do to make the world a better place. It's, it's the worst interpretation of it, honestly. Yeah, really it's is. it's a really weird it's a really weird take it does feel like trying to so here's the thing right christmas carol is the the ultimate payoff of a christmas carol is largely a spiritual one scrooge's redemption we're not ever going to really see the specific ways in which he can make lives better aside from like maybe fred maybe bob but we understand that by a changed nature, he ultimately becomes like a boon to his community and is a better person and is redeemed. This version, I think they're trying to simplify the idea of a spiritual redemption into like specific actions that he can take or specific things that he can undo that he's done. And it it does 
raise the stakes. Yeah, but at the same time as they raise those stakes, we don't see, uh, not to spoil it, but we don't really get a satisfying payoff either. Yeah. Like, look at the cover of this if you go to uh, Amazon and rent it, right? You'll see Scrooge with the very traditional shot of Tiny Tim on the shoulder, right? Yeah. We, We don't get that in this movie. Yeah, no, it's not in here. I'm shocked, by the way, that we are so many episodes into this podcast and we've only seen that like one or two times, if that. Like, Yeah, it's actually kind of surprising, isn't it? Like the vis- the things that you would associate in your head, like little beats of like things that would happen, actually don't tend to happen in a Christmas Carol movies or at least these adaptations. And I wonder if that's because people don't want to play up tropes or they want to be original or whatever but it's like who knows i don't know it's it's bad there's a bunch of business with the mice here that's pretty terrible um and bob leaves uh the counting house so at this point hinky things start happening in scrooge's office is this a first is this the first time we're seeing this oh most most definitely most definitely so what john's talking about is we get so as cratchit is leaving he goes to put out a candle and before he's going to taunt Cratchit one more time, Scrooge uh, says, leave the candle on. Right. Yeah. So Cratchit leaves candles left on and the candle then starts like, like starting to bubble in a way almost. And then like shoot out sparks straight out the top. Flaring and doing spooky ghost stuff. Right. And so, and which of course could only mean one thing. And we end up getting our Marley scene in Scrooge and Marley's office, which is a choice. Yeah, I'm not sure why it happens this way. I mean, it's a location. I don't, I don't, no, I do hate it. Like, I, I, I it should always be in Scrooge's bedroom. I do feel like that. Like, so, yeah, and, he, the, and it's weird because he's going to walk home and he's right. going to see the knocker. Right. And he's going to like lay down in bed. He's going to do all the same things, but they choose to have this. So I wonder if it's like a pacing thing, like they were trying to get it in at this point or. You know what? Going back to the save the cat moment with the mouse. This it's also weird because this is like like Scrooge is not really alone. Right. Like there's people out on the street. It's sort of the end of the business day. Like everyone's around going home. So it's a little bit weird for it to be happening here. This this moment instead of like late at night when he's alone. This feels like somebody read how to write a screenplay and how every so many pages, 10 pages, you need to have an action beat. You need to have something big happen to keep people's attention. And if you don't do that, you have a crappy movie, right? So they looked at it. They're 10 minutes in, which is kind of where we're at this moment, maybe in the movie. I'm not sure. I don't care. But we're we're into the movie enough that traditionally, if it needs action or something to grab attention, you would have it there. But we're not there yet. We still have one or two more things to do before we get to the door knocker scene. So they throw Marley in now. Yeah. And yeah. Um, it's bad. Yeah. So Jacob Marley. So there's like weird stuff that happens and then Scrooge goes into the other room and then more weird stuff happens. And Marley kind of comes in through the window. Kinda. Yeah. <laughs> like he, he does, but like it's, he comes in through the window and, and, and his chains are kind of hanging out the window. So let's talk about this Marley. So he's wearing like a long flowy, like a dressing gown or something. Definitely a dressing gown. Like maybe it's what he died in, which I don't 
dislike sure. as a yeah. choice. Like if he if he died in his sleep, whatever he would die in is what he's going to wear in the afterlife. So I sure yeah. that works there. And he's but he's got the chains, and they're kind of there's not as many chains as normal, but there is a very long chain that is coming out from either corner of the window towards Marley and around Marley's waist. And yeah. I think that's it that's on him, right? Maybe is there any other chains he's wearing? No, that's that's pretty much it. But like it's cool because like as he's doing this scene, it the chain keeps like ratcheting back and trying to pull him out of the window like he's on really borrowed time or whatever. Um this by the way is Nicolas Cage. I don't know if we mentioned that. It's and pretty forgettable, but it's Nicolas Cage. I guess that's worth mentioning. It was a disappointing Nicolas Cage. Yeah, it was pretty it was pretty bad. Um, because when I saw Nicolas Cage Christmas Carol, colon, the movie, right? I thought we were going to get some nutty crap here. I thought we were going to get some weird Nick Cage, not the bees type of stuff. What is that? What is that? What is it? Oh, no, not the bees. Not the bees. Ah! But this was not the bees knees, my friends. This was just him doing a poor man's British accent. And halfing through the Marley monologue. It, it was as phoned in, I think, as you can possibly get. And this scene really reminded me, like, how how good the writing of the novella is. Mm. And when when there are movies that really stick to that language, this exchange between Marley and Scrooge is so well written. The back and forth is so engaging and interesting and not inaccessible in any way. But this version of the script is so dumbed down and so dull and boring it was really disappointing because this marley is always my favorite scene this is always i'm like yeah here we go this is my, i love everything about this and this was just it's riddles upsetting. in the, it's riddles in the dark oh yeah it's yeah. it's 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 two interesting characters just sitting in a room talking and we are enjoying their conversation with a little bit of danger mystery and intrigue right yeah. and just this movie has not earned its mystery. It's not really that interesting. And so it can just does the scene and moves on. Yeah. We see like the other ghosts. It's almost like he's in like a chain gang or something. Cause there's like a bunch of other ghosts outside that are all like in robes. Um, we don't get, it's not like a group of penitent ghosts. Like we've seen in other places where they're trying to make up for their, missed opportunities yeah it's weird it's almost like yeah it's like a chain gang gang type of deal and like they're dragging him away to some sort of either they have to go do something somewhere or there's like a purgatory or a hell somewhere that they have to go to i will say that the transition out of the business office towards the the gang of other ghouls out there being dragging marley away that was a cool visual yeah. That that's where you really do get the influence from like or like you can see the connection to like this style from like the snowman. Yeah. Like it's real. it looks the the way it's colored and it fills in and the faces of the ghosts in this. I will say this anytime this animating team is trying to do like skulls or something spooky. There's some spook there that it's pretty yeah. spooky. Yeah. Yeah. And there's some more mouse footage. Boring. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then. Uh, then most perplexingly of all the charity collector scene happens because before they decided that the action beat needed to happen there originally in the screenplay, the debt collectors just showed up. 
And it was more like Scrooge because they were talking to him on the road. Because yeah. that's how they did it there. So they come into the office, Scrooge is heading out, and they have their little what will you donate scene. And it's rushed. It and it's just, it's bananas to me that you would have this exchange happen after Marley. Right? Like, no doubt. No doubt about Scrooge. In fact, Scrooge almost uses it as proof that Marley was a ghost. Not a ghost. A vision in his head. Like, yeah. Marley's been dead these seven years. Ha, that was not real. Like, yeah. now you're saying Marley is dead? I do appreciate that at least that line reads like, a, I do not believe the thing I just saw. But I feel like you could have done like a little something. Like, had the, the had his face pop out of like the picture on the wall. Like, if you want to have like a little hint that like Marley's ghost is watching him, do that. But don't do the whole scene here. Have well, some build up. Right, well, yeah, this movie doesn't know what that is, John. Yeah, nothing remarkable about the charity charity collectors, except that they happen very forgettable at that moment and like even more so than like the patrick stewart one where they don't come back like yeah these come back later on spoilers and they matter almost even less like oh, it's, yeah yeah it's almost i almost would have preferred they didn't come back at all compared to what what does happen. what does happen yeah, yeah like this this is just not a well structured christmas carol yeah no no well speaking of collecting charity we do have to pay our clerk so <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I guess now is when we do this, John, because like there, there's no- it, it is. <laughs> we do it after the Marley scene, I guess. So <laughs> stick around for a quick ad break and we will be right back. If I stopped your half a crown for it, you'd think yourself ill used, wouldn't you? Hmm? But you don't think me ill used if I pay a day's wages for no work, do you? Hmm? Jeez, only one cigar, sir. It's a poor excuse for picking man's pocket every 25th of December. Hi, everybody. If you're anything like me, you've been listening to podcasts pretty much as long as podcasts have been a thing. And you've always dreamed that one day you would find a topic you were really passionate about and you would make that dream podcast yourself. Unfortunately, in today's day and age, when everybody and their mom and their mom's dog has a podcast, and there are so many different podcast hosting platforms to choose from, it can be a little bit difficult to find something that fits both your needs and your budget. And that is where Anchor comes in. If you are someone just breaking into the podcast scene and you're looking for a place to uh, get started hosting your podcast, Anchor is a great choice. For starters, it's totally free. There's no charge to host the files that you need for your podcast. It also has creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. So if you're someone who hasn't broken into using GarageBand or Audacity or a more professional program to record your podcast... Anchor has all of the tools you need to record right from your phone or computer. Anchor also provides seamless distribution to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many other podcast platforms, so it's really easy for you to reach a broad audience. If you're looking to monetize your podcast, you can do so with no minimum listenership through Anchor. Just record an ad and put a sponsorship segment in your show, and you're good to go. It's everything that you need to make a podcast right in one place. If you want to get started recording that podcast you've always dreamed about today, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hello, Hello. it's Elliot, Elise, Elizabeth, and Maureen, and we're the hosts of Ballsy History, a weekly podcast about big personalities and little-known stories. 
Join us for a tour of the outrageous acts, incredible stories, and outsized characters that shape history. We look forward to having you join our fantastic community of history and quirky story fans. Please tune in and subscribe today. You can find Ballsy History on all your favorite podcasting destinations. And we are back. Welcome back to foggy London town where uh, Tiny Tim is dying because Scrooge murdered him. Straight up killed him. Like there's no, yeah. it's, it's it's cause and effect. Murked. It's, it's like, it's like the, he throws the bucket of water and you get the Grand Theft Auto wasted thing right over top of it. It's, it's bad. It's, oh boy. But yeah, so we, we literally, we flash back to the Cratchit house and and Bob, like, Bob going home annoyed me because he's, like, pissy with the kids in the street. Oh, I'm not going to do it. Uh, watch your snowball throw and don't get me. Oh, 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 yeah, I'm going to fall. Kind of Ooh, I'm going to fall. The what? Everyone look at me. I'm falling. I'm not falling. I'm not falling. Oh, I'm home. Do it again. Do it again. Oh, not till next year, love. Oh, I'm Bob Cratchit. Wally Dolly Hate this guy. <laughs> yeah, it's really bad. It's really bad. Oh. He's like the he's like the whatever the like the Bizarro Universe version of like the Kermit the Frog Bob Cratchit would be. Oh my god, that's correct. Like that he yeah, he because Kermit, spoilers, I do remember this because I haven't little window I have not watched Muppet Christmas Carol since we started this podcast. I want to, <laughs> but I remember that the ice skating scene is something Scrooge does. Right. And this came yeah. out after a Muppet Christmas Carol. So it's possible they threw it in there. Yeah. And look, Bob, well, and that's a line. That's like a line in the book. It is in the, he, yeah. he like did this little like ice skating thing with the kids. But anyway, back at the Cratchit house, tiny Tim is like caught a cold because he's soaking wet again. Scrooge murdered him. Yeah. <laughs> make sure that's really clear um and meanwhile scrooge goes home and the knocker scene happens for whatever reason it's not like it matters at this point it's on and off like a light switch it's there and it's done and it's dumb and it doesn't yeah and it doesn't register because it does the the knocker scene works when it's the first thing we've seen of marley because it's a small thing that is somewhat believable you know, like you could. Well, right. And and it's not like in, in the in the book. So a lot of times the the knocker speaks to Scrooge. Right. Right. In the book, it doesn't. In the book, it's like a flash. Like he looks at the knocker kind of out of the corner of his eye and it looks like Marley. And that's something. And then almost before he can register it, it's a knocker. Again. Right. That's how it's described. So to me, it's like. It's definitely Marley because we're going to see Marley later. Right. But like you'd be forgiven as Scrooge for thinking. Oh, I'm my eyes are playing tricks on me because I'm an old man and it's dark. And that's immediately followed up by the hearse, which is a very crucial like, okay, now he's seeing some weirder stuff. And then we yeah. get to the bedroom and then everything from there onward. But we've already gotten full on chain Marley, full frontal chain Marley. And it is what are we gonna be what are we gonna be wowed by a little like elbow shot of some like a doorknob like no like th- this is nothing come on now yeah um 
And then Scrooge is nice to the mice again. Sure. Right? Well, he's nice to his mouse. To his mouse. Well, he doesn't know the other mouse is there. So, like, other... Gabriel has been stowing away with Scrooge's mean mouse. I'm going to call it Skinflint. Skinflint and Gabriel, our two heroes of this movie, are chilling out in Scrooge's pad. And... Scrooge is walking around trying to again convince himself nothing's wrong and about to eat some gruel. Gruel. And the mice, like, the, I guess Gabriel, who must be starving because Gabriel didn't get some cheese. Only Skinflint got cheese in the beginning of this movie. So he starts going to town on this porridge, which is one of the most disgusting looking things I've ever seen. He slides into porridge, gruel, and starts eating it in it and it's like gluttonous and disgusting and if i went my whole life without seeing it i would have been a better person but now i'm tainted forever thank you christmas yeah, carol cole it, of the it movie. starts to feel a little weird that's like it starts to feel a little weird that scrooge is like chilling alone hanging out eating the same food that these mice are eating i feel like we're gonna go into another room and find out scrooge is like a hoarder or something that he's got something like significantly mentally wrong he's got his dad in the other room it's a skeleton or something like that Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah gabriel is keeps trying to show scrooge bell's letter and he like gets into bed with it and he starts to read it but doesn't finish it he falls asleep he doesn't get into bed he lounges into bed spread eagle like like it's yeah i never need to see scrooge sprawled out on a bed like just chilling again in my life it was scarring (laughs) yeah and then he's visited by the wish.com version of the richard williams (laughs) ghost of christmas past yeah i will say this i will say this right so so this ghost of christmas past shows up and it's an interesting transition the candles in scrooge's room blow out and i sort of wanted the candle to like turn into the ghost that's what i thought was going to happen i was a little disappointed it was just like the candle blows out like every other time. Um, but yeah, if it's like- I think if I had never seen the Richard Williams version, I would think that this was a pretty good ghost of Christmas pass. It's probably still my top three of versions we've seen so far. Like just visually yeah. speaking, maybe not overall performance, though. I do like the performance a lot too. It's, yeah. it's just, it is a green, brightly lit, glowing child like creature that slowly fate gets older and younger in between beats right so it's like yeah and i will say that the getting older thing only happens a couple of times and it's very stark yeah it's it'll like suddenly be like shrivel up like a like a like a apple in the sun just like yeah oh now you're old but then you're young again in the next scene. Yeah. It's not that smooth, like fluid, always changing thing that the Richard Williams one did right. that was so uh, like cool. This is a very cheap version of that. This this feels like, and which if it was constant, if it was constantly going from Skeletor to Peter Pan to Skeletor to Peter Pan, awesome. But like you said, it's almost like to make a point, like you did yeah. something bad, so I'm going to turn to Skeletor. And like for the rest <laughs> of the time, I am Peter Pan, peanut butter. So yeah. It's it's a look. It looks great for the most part. It is pretty faithful to the book compared to some other ones compared to some other ones out there. So you got to give it points for that. And I'll say overall, we'll get into the other ghosts next episode. The ghosts are probably the most consistent of all the ones we've done so far. Honestly, like 
They yeah. all are very keeping with the books and and nothing strays too far away from what they're supposed to be doing. You can also definitely tell that Jimmy Murakami took on this movie because he was interested in animating these ghost sequences. You can totally tell that this was the thing that he was most because the rest of the movie really feels like it's in service of these like really trippy, very the snowman like sequences that we're going to see coming up. There's a really weird bit here where the where like Scrooge tells the spirit to go away and it kind of like shrinks down below the edge of his bed. And then you sort of see the glowing light move around and then it like pops back up with old person face like a zombie and scares him. I'm not sure what that was about. That was a really odd choice to me. I I will say this, right? So this is a really good sequence. The traveling back in time sequence is, is really awesome. It's probably one of the most visually arresting things in this movie Um, because they fly out over the countryside and these these beautifully painted backgrounds are slowly transitioning from like winter into spring and then from spring to summer and from summer to fall and then back into winter as Scrooge and the spirit are flying. Um, it's really beautiful. There's like the mu- music in this movie for like 98 percent of the music in this movie is really really good. I, I, um, I, I gave you the eye there, John, because I got to tell you, there's some songs coming up that like. Nope. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they end up uh, at the school where um, <sighs> this headmaster at the school is a real piece of work, isn't he? I didn't know Snape worked at that school, but okay. <laughs> God almighty. Yeah, the, the, head, the headmaster is like viciously mocking young Scrooge for not being able to go home. Yeah, like, so we, we, we go into the school. We've, we've all seen this scene before. We don't get any Alibaba, which... That sucks, but okay. But then we get, like you said, this headmaster, and he's accusing, like, what did you do to get left behind, boy? Yeah. It's like, what really sucks about it, even more than the fact, like, it's just a sucky thing to say, is that is 100% believable that a teacher would have said that to a student at that time. And and what's even sadder is now that I say it out loud, I know there are jerk teachers out there that would still say something like that to somebody, which is like, what do, what does that do to a child? What does that do to someone as they are developing into a person to hear something like that? Well, apparently it turns them into the worst version of Ebenezer Scrooge we've ever seen. So if any teachers are out there listening, let me give you a piece of advice. Don't be a jerk. Don't say stuff like this guy. Um, and he like ceases to exist in this movie. He just no, leaves. no, no. He's get one more scene coming up because we get. The, oh, you're right. We get the. You are right. We get the Faye scene. Faye comes in and is going to take Scrooge home. Nothing, nothing too different than what we normally see there. Just Faye running in. Father's so much nicer than he was before. Fa- fan, Fa- fan, whatever. Who cares? <laughs> her name has changed a couple times. Her name has changed, um, and she really doesn't do anything. But whatever, you know. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh the um there's a missed opportunity here because old scrooge sees her coming in and goes to hug her but then he kind of like steps aside and she goes past him and i really wish she had walked through him you could have ended that sentence as this was a missed opportunity and that would have been fine like like that just like this yeah, whole thing well, is a this movie was a missed opportunity yep. um, yeah but that's clearly like something you do there especially in animation of all things like Sure, it's easy to do. You don't have to even do like two takes of the scene to do the crossfade. Like, ah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And yeah, she's here to bring him home. 
it's it's you know what it usually is the when the headmaster is showing them out they look really weird did you notice this that the kids looked like super tiny and strange either that was what was happening there or this guy is a giant so well and and i think i figured it out i was looking at it i had to like pause and stare at it for a second their heads are way too small really their heads their heads are like the right proportion if they were like adults so because they're so small it makes them look like they're just like hobbits like they're tiny adults and not children like one of the things when you when you animate or draw a picture of a child the head in proportion to the body is larger Ah. because our heads like our heads grow pretty rapidly that's why toddlers always look like they have huge heads You know what I mean? Like, obviously, it's not as large as it's going to be when they're an adult, but in proportion to their body, it's a lot bigger. Um, It's just a a weird detail of the all over the place quality of the animation and character design. And I'm waiting for this headmaster during this very weird scene that you're talking about where he opens the door. I'm waiting for him to say something. I'm waiting for him to have another snide comment or kick out the kick up the ass as he leaves. There's nothing like that. It's just like he's almost proud of Scrooge screw you after what you just said to him in the past you don't get to be happy that he gets to go home for christmas fan is not alone in coming to pick up scrooge because uh there's somebody waiting in the carriage it's her very good friend yeah and we will we will come to discover that this is bell so this movie integrates bell into scrooge's life from like the very beginning of his like formative experiences right like he is about to be this is the happiest moment of scrooge's life probably in this version yeah because yeah. he's leaving the place that he hates the most he has nothing but hope for the future and he shares yeah. this carriage ride home with his sister who he loves and this girl bell who he's gonna develop feelings for probably out of the fact that he had so much fun in this carriage ride just being free and on his way home sure and as soon as he gets home he gets a smack upside the head of cold hard reality yeah yeah so real quick um scrooge's dad alert scrooge's dad alert this is this is our uh our first on-screen appearance as far as i know of Scrooge's dad. I guess if you cut it, like if you don't count Connor Mead, because we do see Connor Mead's dad in Ghost of Girlfriends Past, but um, nope, don't care. Don't move. Move on. This is it. This is the first time yeah. we've seen it. And it's a hard choice for Scrooge's dad. Like, it. yeah, this is tough. Well, and I think we know that Scrooge's dad, even from the text where he is only mentioned, is a huge part of the reason he is the person that he is. We know that it is like a it's a generational problem right. that Scrooge is continuing. So I think there's I've seen there are there are at least three different versions of this film that I have seen where Scrooge's dad is a character, and in all of them, it is not a positive experience when Scrooge meets him. Um in this version, I think might be my favorite one of these, um, because basically what we discover is that Scrooge's dad has has treated him as a business transaction, which is simultaneously horrifying, horrifying. Yeah. And yet very believable. 
Oh yeah, totally. Totally believable totally. for this time period and setting. He says, when you when you left, you were this wild, untamed boy, and I sent you there, and I paid for your education to come back as a man. And are you a man now, boy? Yeah. And it's like, yeah. so he's he's challenging on whether or not he's a man, right? So that's some yeah. toxic masculinity stuff just thrown in Oof, right yeah. there. Yeah. And it's like, good, because now you're gonna start paying for what I paid for you. Right. Yeah. So he's going to I'm going to get the return on my investment because he's going to send him. He literally says the return on my investment because he's going to send him off to be an apprentice at Fezziwigs and Scrooge is going to send home like half his paycheck or something like that. And you could believe that this is the same type of spiel that Scrooge's grandfather gave to Scrooge's dad. Like this is sure. This is definitely something passed down from father to son onward and onward. And it's grotesque. And it's in front of, it's also like in front of his sister and Belle, who are both there, which has, which has to be like super emasculating, super traumatizing for him, really has to embed in him this idea that like the, the way that you love people is by like financially investing in them, that his only worth to his father is in his ability to take what his father invested and turn it around and make a profit. Like what a messed up kind of message to get from a parent and what ego stroking and power play it is for the father to have an audience to perform in yeah. front oh, of oh yeah like yeah absolutely like he's absolutely. like got to show off for like his daughter and her friend and it's all sorts of creepy and weird and but here's the real sickness of it after that scene scrooge is flying away and he's kind of like, yeah, my dad was kind of whatever, but he would be proud of me today if he saw, yeah. if he saw what I made. He would be proud yeah. of it. And I can guarantee to you, he would not be. Because this type of jerk would snipe at him for all it's worth. Oh, you're the such and such bit, bit, debt collector. You're not the first, you know, or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Like He'd find something to snip at Scrooge. So, yeah, then we get to Fezziwigs. It's Fezziwigs. It's about what you'd expect. Fan, uh, actually, her beau shows up and Fezziwig, like, pushes uh, him towards her. Like, yeah. and so, like, which we never really see that. And that's kind of nice to see her because we know she doesn't have long to live. So it's nice to see her having some fun. Um, yeah. And then, of course, we get Scrooge. This is more traditional Scrooge here where he does. He's not the life of the party. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And but and, and but this is the moment when I was like, while the Fezziwigs were dancing, and like they were doing the, the, their little dance after actually a really sweet line where Scrooge messes up a dance. He goes, "Look, let me show you how you do it after twenty and five years being married." And at first, like he's been married twenty and five times. No, that's how long he's been married to Mrs. Fezziwig, Jimmy. But like, yeah, they yeah. do this little like Fezziwig dance, and it's cute, but it doesn't yeah. look right. But if you paused it, really well drawn. But yeah, and one of the things, so you you mentioned um, fans, boyfriend, fiance, whatever at this moment. So Scrooge, anytime this guy appears on screen, always like trashes him a little bit, like not to his face, but old Scrooge when he sees him has really negative things to say about him. And I, I, the movie will go on to tell us that um, the father didn't like approve of her marriage. We're going to get a scene later on that kind of reveals that very um, quickly. Though. And very quickly and it's i almost feel like he left her yeah it could be that it could be he like that maybe he ran off or something which is and left her destitute which is really weird when you consider like the relationship that fred has with scrooge then did 
Yeah. Did because normally it's assumed that Fan died and the husband took care of Fred, right? Like yeah. her husband took care of Fred and was the father. Because Scrooge does not raise Fred. I believe if that happened, we would have a much different type of story here. But we, right. we don't yeah. we don't have that. So Scrooge at the most paid for him to be t- raised somewhere, like in some sort of boarding school or something like that. But he doesn't right. raise Fred. Yeah. Um, and also, this during this scene and the previous one, whenever Belle comes up as a friend of Fan, it, Scrooge always mentions, yeah, her fa- they, she came from a poor family. Her dad drank. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. He just says that. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's like could have been any other type of conversation. Oh, that's Bell. Bell played softball in junior high. Her dad drank. <laughs> um it, it, yeah, it is kind of like that, isn't <laughs> it's it? It's 100%. Like he just he, no as bad as my cold open segues are, this one was worse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um he does kind of like that does get laid in there a lot that she was poor. Um He's definitely like hyper focused on that idea. So so much so that something very big happens in a few beats. They have a scene where they're like in a carriage and Bell's basically saying to him, like, listen, I'm not worried about money. Like we can have whatever we want as long as I'm with you, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So then we find out that Scrooge's dad has died and Scrooge is basically going to inherit all his wealth because Scrooge's dad didn't approve of fans marriage. And of course, at like the will reading, she's like super pregnant and very sad. And Scrooge is really like does not care. It's a it's a weird moment. I don't. It felt felt inconsistent to me with like the screw the young screws that we've seen so far. It feels like somebody had to have this beat in there for some reason to justify stuff in their head, right? But yeah. it doesn't work out with who Scrooge really is. Scrooge would never do this. You yeah. can do a lot with Scrooge. You can do really a hell of a lot with Scrooge as a character, but Fan is sacred and you don't mess with Fan. Right? Yeah. She's a saint in his eyes, and he would do anything for her wouldn't do it for fred because by extension fred is her death right yeah but but for her she and that's why when he decides that he's failed fred or sees that he's failed fred it should land because fred is faye faye is like everybody it's 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 a very nice thing like once he realizes that connection that's where the growth can start for scrooge but not yeah. this Scrooge. This Scrooge is burns to 11. To the point that he, uh, in the next scene, proposes to Bell with a legal contract. We want prenup. We want prenup. Yeah. <laughs> Holy crap. She is not happy with this. She's like, I have waited all this time, and you are proposing to me with a legal document. He's not saying she's a gold digger. Like... <laughs> <laughs> He he's just he's just uh, uh like he's here's the thing like it is a really good choice actually like it's a solid like yeah it's insane but it's not the only time I've seen a Scrooge do something this extreme something like this right so I actually kind of really dig it as like wow this Scrooge sucks <laughs> yeah it's not good yeah. it is it is it is double plus ungood um. Uh, yeah, and I, I feel like it is it's another way this movie takes things that are I don't want to say figurative, but like it 
in a Christmas Carol, we sort of have to read between the lines of why they're breaking up, that his nature has changed somewhat and he's just more focused on his like money and ambition. And that's why she pulls away from him. In this version, it's you made this like really bad choice that is illustrative of the person that you have become. And therefore, I can no longer continue with this relationship because you've hurt me, which works. I think it. look, if you're going to do Belle as a character throughout, you actually yeah. need something like this here. Yeah, because she's kind of a foil to him, right? In this so you movie, need a turn. You need you need you need evidence to back up what Belle's doing. Sure. When you've done a more traditional Christmas Carol, remember in the novella she's in one scene. Right. She's not even at Fezziwigs. She's not even mentioned about. She's not like she's in. She's in, and she's not even mentioned after the scene. Really, she's in one scene to prove a point about Scrooge that his greed yeah. has done this to him. And yeah. again, I like this here in this version, but it's pretty freaking low, Scrooge. This is pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And at this point, the, um, you know, the ghost brings him back to his room and sort of like douses her own light. Yeah. It's a tug of war over the cap. Like she's holding it the whole time, which was nice. At least it was there present the whole way through. Sure. But Scrooge is trying to put it the, the, the light out. And she kind of says the line, I think, or was set up to say the line about like, you know, the light all year. Maybe she said it earlier. This movie is a blur a little bit to me, friends. And but Scrooge gives up on the tug of war. And there she is. And she does she even put the cap on herself? She just she does. She does. She definitely does. She puts the cap on herself and just kind of like blip, blip, blips out of existence. Lame. (laughs) Yeah, it it uh, it doesn't land super well it's a little anticlimactic and then and then we're left with you could say that about the whole scrooge and yeah well scrooge and gabriel and skin flint and he's fallen back asleep poor skin flint has been scared stiff this whole time you know because he i think he's defending scrooge to gabriel throughout this movie like yeah they're weird pantomime we really needed subtitles with these mice like we really needed some subtitles here or something but like He's like acting out like, no, Scrooge is like, okay. And got like little hands and like points and stuff. Like, no, Scrooge is like a businessman and he's all right. Like freaking hate these mice. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that brings us to uh, the end of this uh, half of our discussion. So James. Yeah. How do you feel about casting carols? I feel like we need some casting carols after this hot mess. Let's go for it. RNG going here. Oh, this is very appropriate. Uh, today, uh, I rolled the number 10, and number 10 on my list is the Ghost of Christmas Past. Oh boy. Okay. Um, ooh, this one's tough. I do have this one. Right, give me a few moments, friends. We'll be right back. So we've deliberated. We've spent some time thinking about it. James, would you like to kick us off with your ghost of Christmas past? I would, John. And as you know, I've been doing like a more comedic style and everything. This one might seem out of left field, but they're pretty funny when you give them a second. My ghost of Christmas past is... 
David Bowie. Nice. David nice. Bowie is otherworldly. I mean, legitimately yeah. has two different colored eyes, which I think would be very cool for this. Depending on the budget of the movie, you wouldn't have to do much. But if you start to do the transitioning from youth to old, you have references. You can make him as young as he was in the 60s with some source material and then go back to how he was in the or, you know, whenever this production would have been done before his death. Um, I would also say that he's kind of been, you know, he's done different types of characters who have played with gender and everything like that. So you kind of got that going on with Bowie. Like, yeah, totally. And he's got this just other, like when he. He's just ambiguous. Ambiguous in general. And like, I mean, he's played an alien in several different like albums and movies. Uh, Sure. Yeah. So I think he would be perfect for this, but he would also, when he does like watch him as Nikola Tesla in the prestige. Oh yeah, totally. He can do a monologue and really like give like history without saying like with few lines, you're intrigued and you want to know more, but you're not going to know more, but you want to. And this would be there for the, like he could talk about, you could just see him towering over a Scrooge, which is not quite what has happened with the ghost of Christmas uh, past, but it could work here. You know, like, He's a spirit. He's a, a specter. Like, th- this would be something otherworldly. And I think Bowie would fit that like a glove. I could definitely see him in, like, the same sort of, uh, the same vein as, like, a Joel Grey. Well, what, that's what I was thinking of when Joel Grey came on. He's basically wearing David Bowie's Ashes to Ashes costume. So yeah. maybe that was also in my brain because of that a little bit. But I think David Bowie could be really funny and almost be the kind of seriousness we need to play off of all the other comedic performances that we're going to have in my version of A Christmas Carol. So, Definitely. David Bowie, The Ghost of Christmas Past. But John, who is your Ghost of Christmas Past? Well, you know, it's funny that you picked David Bowie. I feel like we're in like a really similar wavelength in terms of what we're looking for for this role, because I think the qualities that you see in David Bowie, I think this performer also brings to the table in a similar way, but different. My ghost of Christmas past is... (laughs) Tilda Swinton. I freaking knew it! I knew it! Wow, you have me pegged. Well, because she's played Bowie in music videos with him. Like, they were, like, collaborative buddies near the end of his life. And, like, so this is, like, it's basically, we're basically choosing the same type of thing for both. It's it's pretty interesting. This is, like, where our worlds collide. But she, I think she matches up perfectly, John, I think. Yeah. uh, Well, because she's, Tilda Swinton, like, has a history of playing roles that are, like, similar to Bowie, a little bit alien. Um, She has that kind of ambiguousness in terms of like, you know, gender or, or um, just like her presence as a person. I feel like she fits into that weird cross space between young and old and man and woman and child and adult and all of those things you need your ghost of Christmas past to kind of do. I feel like you could do really easily with her in that role. Um, And she also has that kind of like, 
even I think about like I, f- I feel like the first thing I really saw her in was when she was in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. That's the first thing I remember her from, and I think she could have made that role really like scary and intense and angry, but what worked really well was that she was so subdued and so almost like almost like one emotional beat the entire time and it made her seem so sinister but i think in a lot of ways if you if you brought that same energy to your ghost of christmas past it's that passivity of the past where she's just there to like this is what it was and you were here i think she would be awesome dude that's a great choice well if you have uh strong opinions about who would play a really good ghost of uh christmas past you can email us at jacobmarleyisdead at gmail.com or you can tweet at us at uh, marleyisdeadpod on Twitter. Um, you can follow us on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook um, if you're if you're still on on the social medias. Um, God help you. Someone, yeah, someone recently tweeted at us uh, that they really thought your casting for Marley was good. They liked uh, the idea of Jeff Goldblum. So oh, well, kudos to you. Oh, thank you. I- I'm off the Twitters because it's insane but thank you for that friend that that's 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 wonderful i i I am that makes me smile yeah yeah we've gotten some good feedback on that so keep it coming we enjoy it we like to know people are actually listening um thank you to ben devries who does our opening closing and interstitial music thank you to milo newman for uh our um uh great cover art and and james uh what can our listeners do to uh, support us on the show they can leave a five 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 star review on on itunes or wherever you listen to your podcast leave that five star rating friend it would help us out a lot I'm seeing them on there. I'm seeing those five-star reviews on iTunes. I check, and I'm happy. I'd like to see 10. Can we get 10 five-star reviews on iTunes? Come on, people. I know we can do it. I'm I'm feeling like this is a telethon. We can see it by the end of the hour. Let's go. We we need to have 10 individual listeners before that can happen. But to those of you who do listen, folks... A final thank you to you. We really appreciate you listening. We appreciate your feedback. We are having a really great time making this podcast. It's a great way for us to connect during COVID, which is probably what everybody making a podcast right now is saying. But yeah, it's the truth. COVID, you get a mask and a podcast. Oh, oh what a world. Yeah. What a world. Very nice. Well, folks, until next time, as Tiny Tim observed, God bless us. Everyone. On Christmas Day in the morning